Hello and welcome to the Let's UX podcast. Today I'm going to talk about heuristics. These are guidelines for good usability that have been around for over 25 years. But sometimes people wonder what do they mean and how do I apply them to my website or app? Let's find out. Sometimes when you're observing somebody use your digital product, whether on the phone or the computer or wherever, you want to find a way to classify what you're seeing so you can address those problems. This is particularly relevant if you want to observe something change over time and improve, if you're collaborating with other people. So how can you categorise those things that you're observing and group them in such a way that you can actually take action on them and understand what the problem is really behind them? Roughly 20 years ago, the most typical way to evaluate a website was to use usability heuristics. There were many different versions and lots of rules floating around, usually in the the form of a large Excel spreadsheet. And you could go ticking the different boxes and saying, yes, this web conforms to this or does not, and sort of giving it a score. In a way, this was quite helpful because it was methodical and regular and like I say you could share it with others and everybody could apply the same system. Where it ends up being a little bit limited is that it's not always a yes or no to everything or even if it does is of course the holistic experience at the end of the day that matters. But I think they are useful and luckily since then um, mainly now they're just there's 10 that sort of survive those days and they're largely attributed to Jacob Nielsen and Rolf Mullick, who did some of the original work back in the 90s on it. And I will put a link to the update that was recently published so you can have a quick flick through. The one thing is, even though we have these 10 usability heuristics, what what do they mean? They're quite sort of broad categories and you've got to understand these are principles and then assess your website accordingly. So we're going to run through them today and I will try and give specific examples because I think that way you can actually tie it to something on your interface that you can take action on if you think that is an area that is lacking. Number one is talking about visibility of system status. What does this mean? When you're using, we're going to just say website for ease, but it could be an app, it doesn't really matter. What's important is understanding, is that website working? Is it doing something? Is it loading? Is it saving your work? Is it online? Is it offline? All these things. I think this is luckily not happening quite as much as it used to, but sometimes people used to be hitting refresh, 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 trying to get an answer or or trying to see some action. So when you have a system that is slow or um, delayed, then this is a problem and the user doesn't know, is it working or not? One device that's appeared for that to stop people clicking on enter repeatedly is the sort of skeleton frame that comes. It sort of starts appearing so you know something is coming. And basically that's what we're talking about. Users need to know, is it working? Is something coming? Should I be patient? And that visual feedback is really essential for that. Okay, the second one is looking for a match between the system and the real world. I think in general, we can talk about language here because what is the language your actual customers use? 
in their day-to-day -day or in the use that they are making of your product. Generally, I would say avoid jargon, but of course, if it is a business product, a tool for work, then the jargon will be appropriate to the users. So really thinking about using simple, plain language that people would use for the task at hand and the language that your target users will be using to do that. We don't want to invent words. We don't want to use acronyms, abbreviations that are not clear on their own. That will create a barrier and that will result in worse usability and less satisfaction. The third one is user control and freedom. So that sounds exciting. So here we're talking about can the user relax while they're using your product? Can they relax? Are they feeling nervous? Are they feeling anxious that something is going to go off and do something that they didn't want, like delete all your archives or um, buy 100 units instead of two? You know, it's do they feel comfortable? Is the interface clear enough so that when they are, are doing what they need to do, they're not feeling that worried about, I don't dare click this. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen next. So things like undo or redo or when you actually delete things, but you can actually recover from the bin. Um, that kind of action is really helpful here because then people don't fear clicking next because they know they can get out of it again. That's also good if you are allowing people to play and explore the website and that they can come back and forth without any sort of penalty for doing that. Um, so that's a really nice one to think about. So the fourth one is talking about consistency and standards. So we're so lucky now that over the years we've moved away from really sort of dodgy, flashing, colourful, spinning words on low contrast backgrounds and things are moving into a clearer, simpler fashion, which is just easier to read, to consume, to move around on. So these standards that have evolved partly through trial and error mean we don't have to reinvent the wheel. And using those standards that are available to us across the internet mean that our users are coming with a little bit of practice already. So if we use those standards, we're actually making it easier for them to use our website. Um, rather than creating complicated ways of navigating or, or new inventions, there's always a time and a place for innovation. But for the standard things, the navigation around the website, clicking on links that are clearly underlined or similar things like that, that just really makes it easier for for our users to get there. And of course, you know, we they're not using just our website or just our product. They're using so many. So if we're all using the same sort of patterns, then like I say, those basic actions will be really simple and we can focus on innovating in what our product is offering itself rather than in this basic structure. So number five is on error prevention. So what can that actually look like in practice? Because it sounds a little bit too good to be true. Really here, I think it's a lot about generosity in your interface design. If a user writes, for example, their postcode or their address or um, a telephone number or a date, these sort of things that people have to do all the time, but might have slightly different styles of doing so, is it the date, the day or the month first? Um, can they type well or not? Have they used caps at the, is it sentence case or is there, you know, um, something where it shouldn't be? 
Can your system just be generous and flexible and understand those things anyway? There's nothing worse than thinking you've typed in your, uh, I don't know, your credit card number or your postcode perfectly. And then the system's telling you it's wrong because maybe you didn't put in a capital letter when it should have been a capital officially. But, you know, can it understand those things? That will help with frustration because it prevents those little slips. The other aspect is taking away, uh, you know, the, the risk, the high risk factors avoiding the big mistakes. If you have something that is a critical action, and that will vary what depending on what we're talking about. So obviously, if it's shopping, it's buying now, is it deleting a huge archive? Is it sending something to the wrong person? Um, all these things that would really result in a horrible situation for the user. Are we allowing them all the support possible to know, to let them know, are they making the right decision? Have they got that summary of their basket before they hit pay now? Have they got a possibly a second warning to say you're about to delete all of these files? Are you sure? Um, and this is a fine balance to get, because if someone is doing those sort of actions all the time, then they don't want excessive you know, confirmation messages and so on. But that's why it's really understanding what is critical for your product in the context of use which is typical to it. Okay, so number six is called recognition rather than recall. So this is all about making things easy to spot and understand, kind of signposting the way for people rather than expecting them to remember it from the last time they came. So this has different things that could help them do that, including the sort of labels, the menu items, giving them options. So do you want this department or this other one? And they might not remember what they're called from your particular store, for example, but they would easily recognize simple things such as, I don't know, clothing or household goods and just making it really easy that way and not expecting them to memorize anything because you cannot expect someone to say, our website works this way. You just need to learn that. That's a huge burden on their memory. It makes it more tiring and tiresome to use your website. So let's really avoid that. Number seven is talking about flexibility. Here we're looking at maybe giving different options. You will most likely, if you have some sort of app, end up with power users versus first time users. Can they both enjoy your app and get the most out of it? Possibly the experienced power user knows some shortcuts. The first time user needs to have a, a real simple way to walk through it without getting stuck in secondary and third level options. So can both power users and first time users use it comfortably? Can people on different devices use it comfortably? What about different payment options, um, different peripherals? So is it touch? Is it click? So all sorts of different things that might just vary with the type of user and how familiar they are with your product. So we might also think there about personalization, which can be also a bit of a can of worms. So I don't want to go too far down that path. But if people have strong preferences, maybe about how the screen is laid out or the information they want to see first, then that might help. I think we've come out of the sort of dark ages where everything was overly personalized and it meant nobody did because there were too many options. But some customization, you've really got to hear, understand what your who your users are, who your customers are, and what they need to be able to think carefully about this personalization and the flexibility. 
Number eight, moving on, is aesthetic and minimalist design. Now, at first, that just sounds like it's about the visual design, um, but really it's about reducing clutter. So this might be a slightly cultural plant on things, but if we really want people to get from A to B, and whether B is completing their project, filing a report, purchasing something online, we don't want to distract them along the way. And you do see that very well in e-commerce funnels these days, that you're just going straight through and actually everything else is reduced off the screen. So here it's about keeping the information that is relevant, but think about what is relevant for the step the user is in now for them to achieve their goals and for your business to achieve its goals too. So earlier in number five, we looked at error prevention, but in number nine, we've got help users recognize, diagnose and recover from errors. So here we want to talk about how if the worst should happen, what can they do to get unstuck? So here we really want to think about the type of error messages we see. And although they're still pretty common, those 404 pages, I'm not sure if most of humanity knows what they mean. I'm pretty sure they don't, in fact. And although the pictures might have got cute, it doesn't really help you achieve what you were trying to achieve. So here, really constructive, helpful messages I understand sometimes systems fail, pages are lost, but just tell the user that in plain language and tell them whether they should try again, go back to the homepage, contact customer service. What would be a good thing for them to do if that problem happens to them? So last but not least, we've got number 10 talking about help and documentation. So this one's slightly tricky in that it really depends on the nature of your website, your product. First of all, these days we don't generally want documentation, we want a, an intuitive interface. So that means help can appear in contextual help, in just the right information at the right time to help people complete whatever task they're doing. Is it filling in a form? Is it clarifying a term? Is it helping you access the information you need about the product? Or is it, I'm really in a pickle here, what are my options to talk to somebody to get some advice or just to do a different, the same thing in a different way? Documentation might be helpful if it is something, a system that users are going to be using repeatedly. So if we're thinking about interfaces that are perhaps on trains or in call centres or something that people are maybe going to be working with more and that having a reference of how to use that particular interface will be useful um, time and again, or at least in the early days for ramping up that learning curve. So although we really want to have intuitive interfaces, particularly for B2C type interfaces, websites, checkouts, all that sort of thing, documentation might be useful in the case of people who are working with these interfaces several hours a day and they just maybe need to learn how to use it when they start a new role. If they want to be able to also refer to aspects of the user interface, you know, in a case of an emergency or an extremely complicated interface, then you might want documentation which they can look at and understand the different cases or how the controls work. Documentation can be can get a bit unwieldy so it's nice to be able to search it and 
as I said, if we can go for an intuitive interface where help is in the right place at the right time, then we might be able to also reduce the, the burden on documenting things. Because certainly maintaining documentation is a huge challenge and basically a full-time job if you have a very complex system. So today we have looked at 10 usability heuristics that can help you assess your user interface, understand why or where your customers are struggling, communicate with your team about the areas you'd like to improve on, and also just keep an eye on things as they are evolving. Which one is the toughest one to solve in your case? This has been the Let You X podcast. Thank you for listening. Until next time.